Do you like maps? How about a detailed hand-drawn map that reflects your favorite people, places, and things? Visit Cartograph Me on Instagram or Facebook and see the possibilities and the works of artist Philip Bailey. Remember, Cartograph Me, putting you on the map. What's our favorite horror movie? I hope you have an unlimited phone plan, buddy, because we are going to be here a while. Scream starts now. Hello? Hello? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? I'll do some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big breasted girl who can't act. She's always running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules. That one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. You did make the rules. The police are always on track. If they watch Palm Night, it's safe time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Everybody's a suspect! That's scary, are you? We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store. Back where it says horror videos and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing? Inquiring minds want to know. I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick encrustations dying on the surface. What the front time gets. Hello, horror hounds, and welcome to the It Slays podcast. I'm your humble host, Rowan. Hi, it's Exilia. And this is a dried-out 10-year-old highlighter mic. And we are not just back, but we are celebrating. It is our two-year anniversary. Holiday celebrate. And we don't just celebrate one episode. This is the first of two episodes, because goddammit, it's our birthday month. Oh my god, we are that girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday year! <laughs> my birthday. 
figure. We are every every boy and girl that you love watching on my super sweet sixteen because you were like, boy, this is a train wreck. My favorite super sweet sixteen line. You don't think today is about me, but it is. <laughs> I fail to see how anybody at any one of those parties would possibly think it was about anybody else. I'm trying to remember, like, the people. I don't even remember. I just remember CeeLo's daughter was in an episode. That's the only one I really remember. Wasn't, like, Diddy's son, like, the one no one really knows about, like, on there, too? I don't know. I have no idea. I have no clue. That just goes to show our, like, tastes in reality television. (laughs) At that time, y'all were watching My Super Sweet 16. Meanwhile, I was, like, addicted to Honey Boo Boo, so (laughs) there we go. You guys were like, I want candy that's not trash, and I was like, I just want total and utter fucking trash. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, like I said, I... I can't believe it's been two years already. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, two years. That's <sighs> been a long two years. Jeez, that didn't sound enthusiastic. No, I'm just saying. Oh, but this is coming from the man who every time we text about this episode would say, it's our one year anniversary. And I'm like, no, it's two. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> I know terrible. the last year has just been a blink and like non-existent for most people, but. Yeah, now that I really think about it, it's kind of crazy because I think when we recorded our one year anniversary, episode we were in lockdown no it was right before right before yes it was right before because the first one i think we recorded in lockdown was with colton oh yeah that's right so it was right before because it was the guest i'm really now going back and reminiscing in my own mind about the years Well, I'm just thinking about, like, we were a court in Toronto, and I'm just really, like, thinking thinking that through. Yeah, it, it's it's been a wild ride, and uh, I've been enjoying it. I, I say lots of episodes that when we're, we'll see how cute all this is when, you know, we're, like, 60 and 70, and we're still recording. Or, like, don't you think it's funny that people will be able to go online in, like, a hundred years? Maybe a hundred, not a hundred. That might be a bit pushing it a bit. I, but I like hope in enough. several years and listen to this. I hope in a hundred years that uh, there's like a real revival of the podcast and young teens everywhere wear Shade Brigade t-shirts. <laughs> We're hit. Post-humorous hit. <laughs> I would fucking give my life for that right now. <laughs> I definitely uh, think we should get a little introspective in a second, but I thought a fun thing to do to start off the episode would be, it's been a long time since we've kind of checked in and just talked about media we've been consuming. Let's start with you, Mike. How about some notable things you've been listening to, watching? I will tell you, this week uh, has been, I've been reading slash listening to the audio book of um, Octavia Butler's Dawn. Octavia Butler is everything uh, for anybody that hasn't read her. Literally one of the greatest, I'm going to say one of the greatest writers ever, but definitely one of the greatest sci-fi writers. Um, I think she was the first black woman to like get the Hugo and Nebula Awards, which is like for yeah, sci-fi I was and gonna fantasy. Say, I, th- you know, it's, I think so. And she had a M- MacArthur Genius Grant too, if I remember correctly, which maybe I'm not, but I'm pretty sure. Um, But 
all of the books I've read of hers have been like like staggeringly brilliant. Like, and I don't normally read a lot of like sci-fi, but like her sci-fi is just gets inside of you and oh my god it just like changes you it's fucking amazing she's just brilliant anyway so i've been really enjoying that i'm almost finished uh don now i've been listening to and this is only the last two days the re-release of dua lipa's future nostalgia album which came out last year right after we went on lockdown here in newfoundland the original version and then last night she re-released a new version of it with extra tracks so i'm like woo, our two one year apart lockdowns i got the same dua leap album getting me through it so nice nice i didn't know about this new release we love it we love our like you know synth pop dance queen i do uh i do love that album too oh my god and spectacular and the new one has that like miley song that she did from miley's album which is really really good um and i've been watching actually just tonight when I got home from work while I was eating supper. Um, I finished watching the last episode of the newest season of Wentworth that's on Netflix, which has been an obsession of mine for several years. Um, The Australian women's prison drama. Um, It's brilliant. Everybody should watch it. Yeah, so that's it. That's pretty much been my media binge the last couple of weeks i still haven't seen that one i remember you telling us about that way back it's uh it's one of those like soap operas that is just so well done and the characters on it are so charming and i don't know i just think it's like slightly different from everything of its ilk like i kind of thought when i first started watching it that it was going to be like a less interesting orange is the new black and then i realized that orange is the new black is a less interesting wentworth (laughs) was what happened which is not to slag off on orange but you know, that's it. It's, uh, I find Orange is the New Black is like a roller coaster in terms of good seasons and bad seasons. In the middle, it really went quite mediocre, I found. And yeah. I really enjoyed the last season and I bawled my eyes out on one of those Oh yeah, seasons. I cried several times the last couple seasons. Yeah. I was there, it's true. Oh, uh, how about you, Exilia? Um, so I've been spending a lot of the time reading. I'm on my like ninth book of the year so far. Right now I'm actually listening to the audiobook of Know Her Name, Chanel Miller. Ooh, Chanel Miller, nice. Yeah. I still haven't read it. How is it? It's really good and she reads the audiobook. Oh, wow. Yeah, which I think is like very powerful. So for anybody who doesn't know like, you know, is not It's on like know my name and hear my voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Chanel Miller is the person who was sexually assaulted by Brock Turner. And um yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's really interesting. And it's kind of interesting to watch her become like an advocate for the system or like, you know, against the system, I guess you would say. Yeah, the the broken system. Yeah. Um I also just finished Brain on Fire. I didn't love it. I thought the you know that uh, obviously I've yes. read that one. Yeah, have you read it? No, I haven't. It's been on my list, but I kind of feel like it might disappoint me. <laughs> yeah. So basically, it's about a journalist for the New York Post who had this like mystery disease all of a sudden. I'm not gonna like ruin it for you, but the mystery of the disease part was really interesting. But last year I read Hello, I Want to Die, Please Fix Me, which is a really spectacular um, mix of like 
memoir and investigative journalism, which is what I think this was trying to be. But that was just done like so superiorly, superiorly. Anyways, it was done really spectacularly. And so I can't help but compare them. Um, I read in the dream house. <gasps> oh, Carmen Maria Machado. Love. That's love. like probably one of my favorite books ever. She's brilliant. Yeah. So those are the ones that I've read in the past. Oh, and one called Fair Play about about women's work, uh, domestic work, and trying to make it more fair in the in the house. Um, but yeah, that's what I've read this week. In terms of shows, Rowan and I have been binging Superstore, and I love it. AKA the best show ever. I'm Team Amy all the way. And in terms of music, there's two songs that I've been kind of playing over and over again. So Cherry Glazer has a new song called Big Bang uh, that came out the other day, so I've been listening to that. And then a song by by a band called Icky Blossoms. Haven't heard any of their other songs, but this one's called Cycle. I really like that. So yeah, that's pretty much what I've been up to. Growing. What about you, what about- our humble, yeah, not-so-humble host? <laughs> How rude, how rude. Shade Brigade, man. Shade Brigade comes out early. Last week finished uh, Acceptance by Jeff Vandermeer. So, I mean, I I stand Jeff Vandermeer. He's like one of my favorite writers. So I've now officially finished the whole Southern Reach trilogy, and it was epic as, you know, was expected. And then I just started, uh, I'm kind of getting myself amped up for the, uh, new Mike Flanagan Netflix show he's working on, The Midnight Club. Oh, Christopher Pike! So I have a new obsession of collecting Christopher Pike books and, like, R.L. Stein, like, teen books. Girl, my parents' basement has boxes of stuff waiting for you. Yeah. So- I had all of them. Christopher Pike was my favorite when I was growing up. I got all of them. I got, I I would hit the used bookstores all the time and get all the old, really cheesy, cool covers, like. Yeah, that's basically what I've been doing, like, hitting up, like, used bookstores, Value Village, and yeah, I'm, like, hooked now. I just want to say, though, that Midnight Club is Christopher Pike's most boring book, in my opinion. I'm only, like, um, one it chapter. It has the least amounts of sex and violence, um, Hello, monster, like chain letter, any of those would have been really good, but go it's all it's all good. Pop off, like go Christopher Pike. I heard Heather Langenkamp is cast in it, so yes, I'm, I'm super excited about that. Yeah. So I started that. Uh in terms of and then movies, I've just kind of been trying to catch up on things in the last year that I missed. So uh I saw like I watched New Mutants recently. I actually really enjoyed it. I know no one else liked it really, but I liked it. I watched like Dark Phoenix. I didn't like that. Yeah, I've just kind of been brushing up on that kind of stuff. Just random. I've been binging Parks and Rec because I never, I never watched it. I guess I was late to the party. So I'm on like... Tardy to the party. Yeah. (laughs) And I started that couple months ago I think I'm on like I think I'm on like season five or something now it's so funny because somebody texted me like four days ago saying I just started watching Parks and Rec and I'm like season one episode six is like my favorite thing in the universe uh my next question I want to know as we reflect on the podcast I want to know so this last year is there any films that you can think of that you would want to re-review that maybe you gave too high 
high praise, maybe too low a praise, maybe one that you lied to the other two on the podcast and said you were watching it, but you really weren't paying attention. I feel like I really thought that was directed at her, but I it wasn't. I don't think it was. Oh, okay. You were talking about Killer Clowns and Mike, weren't you? I'm not going to lean anyone to say anything, but I mean, if anyone on the podcast feels like they need to make a general apology about any bad rating they may have given cult classic cinema. I'm not gonna say no to that. Well, Okay, I, I will say this about Killer Clowns, <laughs> to just to get you off my fucking back. <laughs> it would be that perhaps at the time, I was too critical of it as an actual movie, which it isn't. <laughs> very, it's very clearly not an actual movie so (laughs) i really should have just shut my trap and said how enjoyable is it on a scale of like shitty moviness (laughs) and even then i would probably not give it a rating (laughs) you would enjoy so we won't go there okay I can give a review to each of the movies that I missed. I missed three these year, this you year. You missed three? I'm, I did. Oh, that's right. I Excuse forgot. me, you only have one unexcused absence, so <laughs> okay. you will be punished. Oh, okay. uh, go ahead. <laughs> we'll be taking off your paycheck. The Witch that Colton was on. I'm going to give that movie a nay. <laughs> Because it is fucking boring and I can never stay awake during it. So hopefully... Excuse me, I have one thing to say. What? Anya Taylor-Joy. Boom, done. What? I said Anya Taylor-Joy. Preach, girl. Preach. So hopefully The Lighthouse is better. But uh, next, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker? Nay. That was a fucking... (gasps) That was a fucking weird movie. (laughs) (laughs) Attacked! (laughs) How dare... I was not expecting that. I was like... That is... That that movie... a, fucked. I'm not gonna lie. I <laughs> no, thought it was exactly that's what's so good about it. Bro. I thought when we watched it, she liked it, so I'm surprised at that. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, here's the thing: you did not give a full critique of it, so we don't care. Go ahead. Oh, okay. And the next one, Strange Days. I'm gonna give that one an okay. Do you have anything positive to contribute to the class, young lady? <laughs> What do you have to talk about, Mr. Wall, if it was a movie? Yeah. Oh, you're right. (laughs) You're right, you're right, you're right. I know, Rowan, that this was a little bit before our anniversary, but do you have anything you have to say about Mandy and how you would rate it? I mean, we've already discussed, I think we discussed that last anniversary that I, I did regret that. I do have, not necessarily I'd say a regret, this year but maybe i it just it still never clicked with me is the stuff just because of how much everyone loves the stuff and i don't get it yeah and i just didn't necessarily get it and i i feel like maybe i'm missing out on it i don't like it either i i hated the stuff yeah, well, I, I I feel like none of us were big on it. I just feel like I'm missing something because I know people love that. I think they like it just because it's not good. Maybe. Um. So my last question, uh, before we get into it, I want to know what you think was the best sleeper movie we watched this year. What one you think kind of went under the radar? Oh my god. 
I mean, I have my, I'll say my pick first as you guys uh, reflect. Okay. I think ours was our last episode, Laura Mars. I'm actually like incredibly glad to hear this. The more like the more I think about it and the more I spend every day listening to Prisoner, I Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like I'm just Barbara, like, you sing it. I still think about that even weeks later. And I'm like, man, it, it's actually it's good enough that like I have it in my Amazon list of things to buy. Yeah, it's one of those that, like, there's parts of it that you just keep thinking about, like, for weeks. Yeah. Like, it's like it's like a brain worm. And I just feel like... Not would... worms on the brain, but, like, it worms its way into your brain. <laughs> and I, I just feel that it was a, you know, a movie that probably most people wouldn't have on their radar that should be. I'm surprised it's not more popular as, like, a cult. Like a cult oddity yeah. yeah it's it's really weird that it hasn't gotten that like really lavish uh like boutique treatment and reappraisal that a lot of movies which frankly are shittier and don't even have as much going for them as cult oddities are getting yeah like this one has a lot more like pedigree yeah you know like this is a like essentially a john carpenter movie you know like you look at the people involved in it like it's all like oscar winners and like the t- like helmet newton like everybody involved in it is like a plus 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 and it just sort of like disappeared but it's like it has all the hallmarks of like a rediscovered classic but like nobody has kind of gone out of their way to like really give it that like reappraisal that it deserves i think maybe we can start a renaissance laura mars renaissance now that's right laura, laura mars renaissance 2021 challenge did you enjoy our last podcast episode on laura mars well welcome to laura mars part two part two <laughs> Uh, Zillia, how about you? Now, this is an episode we did two episodes prior to our one year anniversary, but I would say after midnight. I think I like enjoyed it a lot more than I. <laughs> I appreciated it at the time. I thought you gave it a good rating. I don't remember what I gave it, but I mean, you said a sleeper. Yeah, she sleeper she hit. feels like she didn't appreciate it, so that's enough for me. You said a sleeper. I mean, I yeah. don't know. I've never heard of it otherwise. I, I'll I'll agree with that. I'll let that one slide. And then, of course, I can't go without mentioning House. Now, that is like a cult classic, I feel, but everybody should watch it. How about you, Mike? I would say... Um, like me. I'm never gonna like you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm never gonna like Like Me. And if I do, know that I have actual brain worms or <laughs> I'm a pod person and please feel free to like set me on fire no honestly I something that I keep thinking back on and I hadn't thought about for a long time before we recorded our episode on it but since we recorded the episode I keep thinking about it all the time and I've made reference to several times in the last month is Repo the Genetic Opera ah, interesting. Like, I think about that and talk about it like weirdly more than a grown person person should in late 2020 early 2021 i feel disrespected i talk about it all the time i said grown person (laughs) ouch Ouch. no i literally just mentioned it to somebody a couple days ago when we were um i was also i got i was having insomnia and i woke up at like four o'clock in the morning one night and i couldn't get back to sleep so again i went on tubi because they have this like weird shitty selection of stuff and simple life was on there so i put it on the next day i went into work and was like guys all i could think about is paris hilton and how repo the genetic opera was really good (laughs) i can't stop thinking about it and i want to like be in it and (laughs) 
did you watch Paris Hilton's documentary? I still haven't. That one I keep it keeps slipping off my radar for some reason, but like I do I I desperately want to. But I also feel like there's some real problems with it. She basically is like, yeah, the simple life was bullshit because she used to like, do you know the basic premise of the documentary? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Basically. So she used to have to do like hard labor at these schools. So she was like, yeah, it was like completely fake that I didn't know how to like sweep or whatever. I mean, we never, even at the time, we would never have watched that assuming that there was anything about it that was even... (laughs) vaguely resembling reality. When I watch reality TV shows, I like to imagine that they're reality. Because if you think of them as real, then it just, like, takes the fun out, you know? I know, and that's why I can't watch that much reality TV, because it's no fun for me, because I'm just looking at it going, this is so fucking fake. Oh, yeah, I just turned my Like, Joe Millionaire? No, I'm sorry. Who's Joe Millionaire? Deep cut, deep cut from the early 2000s for other olds. Other olds. I remember the Joe, name, but I Joe, don't have the... Joe Millionaire is the um, reality dating show that surprisingly only ran for one season where uh, it was essentially like The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. Um, it was after The Bachelor and like that type of show became very popular. But and, he's a um, millionaire. It's Yeah, it's like yeah. he's a millionaire and it was all these girls, um, you know, obviously vying to become his wife or like girlfriend or whatever. And then at the very end, after he picks the person, they're like, ta-da, he's actually like a day laborer. <laughs> Okay, I remember the name of the show. I never watched it. It was awful. It was (laughs) awful. It was so bad. Like, I mean, I don't really remember it because, you know, I was young at the time and it was a very, very, very long time. It was a lifetime ago. But I remember, like, seeing most of it on TV and, like, just going, this is is so bad for so many reasons that I can't even explain. That's where the name Joe comes in because only, like, a day laborer would be named Joe. Yeah, well, he's, like, a construction worker or something, not a day laborer, but, you know, it's, it's the whole point was he was poor and he was not a millionaire and you know it was the thrust behind it of like kind of exposing people's like mercenary natures was like yes take that idea but execute it differently please (laughs) so that it's not as exploitative of everybody involved yeah really so we did uh some quizzes of course exilia why don't you take it away what it was Okay, so these quizzes were obviously, what Scream character are you? Mike, what Scream character were you? And if you have screenshotted the description, please tell us. Of course I screenshotted my result. What Scream character am I? I am, naturally, to nobody's surprise who's ever met me once or even listened to this, I got, I am Tatum Riley. I'm a total badass. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But you're the best friend, and you're a spelled wrong, anyone could ever have. You're very protective of your friends. You're also the type who likes to have a good time. In a horror film, you probably wouldn't be the survivor, but you'd put up one hell of a fight. And I was like, you know what? I wouldn't survive a horror movie. I may know everything about them, but I'm also a dumb bitch, so I know I do something stupid and get killed right at the very end. So I'm happy to be Tatum. I'm happy. She's one of my favorite characters in horror movies. I love Rose. Nice. Rowan. What about y'all? Who did you get? So mine was uh, very insulting. Uh, (laughs) So I got Stu Matcher. (laughs) And my description was, you're a killer, but very sensitive and easily pressured into things. Yeah, that's Rowan. Intelligence isn't really your strong (laughs) suit. (gasps) 
Wow, read the tea and the shade. I know, right? Though that may be because you consider most things a joke. You're a huge horror fan and party animal, but just like the other killers, you don't get away with it. I mean, to be fair, a lot of that is really accurate. It is. Thanks, thanks, guys. It's surprisingly accurate. Unintelligent. Like, frighteningly so. Unintelligent party animal. No, we said some of it, not all of it. The party animal part, 100%. Um, I got Sydney Prescott. It says, you're your survivor, not you're a survivor. You're survivor, but also the main victim. No one has ever been able to kill you. You always escape. Unfortunately, those you love are put in danger because of you. But one thing's for sure, you're a fighter. So me and Mike are BFFs. BFFs. I would 100% like absolutely be your... I would get killed in a garage door for you any day. Aw, thank you. That's very <laughs> The sweet. love. The Shade Brigade, we gotta have each other's backs, man. So what do you say we get into the main event of the evening? I suppose. We tallied the votes. It was a battle to the death. You guys that follow our social media saw these movies fighting head to head. Some great movies lost that should have won. Aliens in particular. I'll never forgive anyone in oh. the audience for that. But some did come triumphant. Uh, one would be, we have it screenshotted. It was picked... By friend of the podcast. Family of the podcast. Family of the podcast. The Cecily Herber. Queen. 1996 Wes Craven's Scream. The year she was born. Perfect. Don't steal her identity. <laughs> her social insurance number is... <laughs> She's probably going to be really upset we don't have, like, a whole 20-minute blurb ready about, like, her birth and, like, her life. I was there. I oh, but here's the it. thing. She will be returning for an episode, and we will get her entire biography in that. We might not even talk about the movie. It's just going to be Cess <laughs> talking about herself. The horror movie we're going to talk about is Cecily's life. It's Cecily's life! <laughs> <laughs> What it's like being related to these two. (laughs) (laughs) I'm almost surprised we haven't done it yet. I mean, there's lots of iconic ones we haven't done, but this is kind of one that I'm not going to lie. I would, I thought the first year Mike would have picked this one. Well, here's the thing. I was going to, but I don't know if I thought it was too obvious, which is not really fair because we've done a lot of other, you know, iconic slash obvious um, choices just because you want to talk about them because you have a lot to say about them and you want to rewatch them and, you know, appreciate them and evaluate them but i guess this one is uh i'm a big fan of like saving the best for last so this one was one that i kind of um wanted to put off not because it's the best necessarily or maybe it is maybe it isn't but just because it's it's a great movie that you want to sort of um keep in your back pocket um for a rainy day and yeah. trot it out so for our anniversary this is this is a very rainy day <laughs> <laughs> another year down the drain <laughs> and i mean we always i always like to sprinkle the facts in as we talk about it now as i said i said west craven scream although i think many would kind of argue now as it's aged very well in in everyone's memory i think just as much kevin williamson scream as west craven absolutely and i actually have thoughts on that <laughs> i have thoughts we will get into what i did want to say very interesting is very 
kind of close to not being Wes Craven's Scream. There was many bids uh, on this movie, and so Miramax, I know, won the bid, and then they ended New Line, or I guess the Miramax at the time, got Wes to direct it, but the other directors whose his company was bidding in a bidding war for this was Oliver Stone. I did not actually know that, but apparently Oliver Stone was trying to buy the script. And I don't know how I feel about an Oliver Stone f- scream. I feel like it could have definitely been an event at that point in his career. It would definitely necessitate at least two VHSs in when you purchased it. Yes, and a double CD soundtrack. (laughs) It would definitely be very, very epic. Extra is the word you're looking for, maybe? Extra is definitely how I would describe Oliver Stone's scream. But yeah, interesting if you read up on it that Craven had actually turned down this film originally. I know he was kind of trying to get out of horror at the time. Uh, And, you know, anyone that knows anything about Russ Craven knows, like, you know, he, he very intellectual guy mm-hmm. and I know he had voiced concerns with the horror community and horror movies like he was worried that horror movies about the misogyny and all the kind of social issues with horror and he wanted to separate himself from it but I thought another interesting fact to put we should put at the beginning here I think what's interesting is some of the directors that they approached to direct it before Wes Craven said yes because there's like some real heavy hitters that This movie, I think, would be totally different, but very interesting. Robert Rodriguez. Ooh, mm. I'm actually salivating at that, because that could have been a real good movie. Well, and I think it's kind of interesting, because I think if we really almost think about it, we kind of got his teen horror entry, because right after this, we got The Faculty. Yeah. I forgot he did that one. Yeah, he was approached for that. I mean, you know, it's like, hello, it practically was Scream Redux in a way in terms of the talent involved. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, Danny Boyle was approached to direct it. Oh, wow. So he, I feel most people know Danny Boyle, but if you don't, his fa- real fame, I think, would be 28 Days Later. Train spotting. Train spotting. <laughs> At the time. I feel like this would be a very different movie in Danny Boyle's direction. The comedy, I think, would be a lot different than Craven. I was going to say, it probably would have been a lot starker. I feel like the Danny Boyle scream would be very stark. Two, the two last things that were attached to it uh george a romero was approached to direct and, and i mean I, I just don't think i can picture that i don't i don't see that at all honestly it's... i mean he definitely has the humor but and no by no means disrespect i mean george a romero is legend but i think his comedy is way more i mean we get it in creep show or the comedy in this is not a creep show type comedy level. I feel like it, the self-referentiality of it and the kind of like postmodernism of it is way more like overt and like sledgehammer hit you over the head than yeah. like I feel like 
George Romero's commentary is, I don't want to say subtler because there's nothing subtle about it, but it is subtler. Like it's not, it's just the commentary is not as playful as Scream's commentary was. So I just feel like their modes of like interrogating like the genre and like social issues are just totally different. Yeah. I just, I, just, I can't see it. I mean, maybe it would have worked. Who knows? And then last but not least, which I think might be the most intriguing to me is... Sam Raimi was approached to direct it, which I think I try to envision like a hybrid of Scream and Evil Dead 2. Like, I'm like, what would this? I mean, we probably definitely would have got a Bruce Campbell cameo at least, which I mean, any movie improves with Bruce Campbell, I feel. Oh, listen, I'm already picturing Bruce Campbell as Principal Himby or whatever his name is. And I'm like, okay, I can already see this working. (laughs) I want to call him Principal Himbo. Because the word himbo has been on my timeline on Twitter a lot for the last six months. So, <laughs> like, Himbri, I think it is. Yeah, so every time I looked at him, I'm like, it's the Fonz, a.k.a. Principal Himbo. <laughs> but he's not a himbo. There's no way. God love you, Fonz. You're not a himbo. So before we uh, before we get into the bio and the actors, the last thing I wanted to mention was, which I know is going to appreciate, because we did some extra watching after we watched Scream. So Scream was not the original title of this movie. The original title that Kevin Williamson wrote was Scary Movie. I didn't know that. I know. I'm saying you'd appreciate this, because me and Exili did watch watched Scary Movie. We did. After we watched Scream. So that was the working title. And funny enough, they used, they renamed it Scream because um, Bob Weinstein was inspired by the Michael Jackson song Scream. And then that's where they got it from. Fun fact. The Michael and Janet Jackson song. That's right. Excuse me. Let's not, let's not continue to like ignore Janet Jackson's contribution to pop culture, please. Thank you. I, I agree apologize. I am very sorry. Thank you, Justin Timberlake. (laughs) (laughs) Topical. It's very current. (laughs) And you guys will notice I didn't... Usually I talk about what the director's done. I feel like Wes Craven doesn't need an introduction. We don't need to go into that. It's... It's self-evident. Nightmare on Elm Street, we've reviewed. We stand it. We heard it. Hills Have Eyes. Last House and on the Left. And yet we are. Swamp Thing, of course. Yet we are going into it. Just in case anyone needs that update. So let's get into the bio. And here's the bio. Someone has taken their love of scary movies one step too far. A killer known as Ghostface begins killing off teenagers. And as the body count begins rising, one girl and her friend find themselves contemplating the rules of horror films as they find themselves living in a real life one. I think that's possibly one of the longest letterbox bios we've had so far. I feel like they said themselves too much in a close space. Too much themselves, letterbox. Well, let's get into the actors of this great film, and there is a lot to talk about. I guess I will start with uh, the always spectacular, our leading lady, Nev Campbell. I promised I would Canadian. Canadian. I promised I wouldn't say Naomi Campbell because that's what I continued to say before we started recording. I said, Rowan, don't embarrass yourself. Again. Again. But uh, no stranger to, uh, you know, cult, iconic films. So the Scream films, obviously the franchise, the craft, wild things, and also, you know, probably more 
most famous in how she got this role is uh, Party of Five. She was the Sarah. But I've never seen that. That was like a little before me. I would have been too yeah, young. Yeah, and to I watch feel it. like I was um, born. Uh, honestly, but... I never really saw it either. Yeah. So Nev Campbell like starring the at Sydney the time Press that guy. was probably what she was known for, and now nobody would even remember what that show was. Like, I don't remember that it exists. I don't think I've ever seen a full episode of it, like, in my life. So, it's just, it's funny the way that your your filmography kind of, like, flips itself. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm not gonna step on anything uh, for the next person, for uh, Exilia, but I do have uh, some interesting kind of what-ifs with that Nev was not the first choice. Brittany Murphy was up for this. That's interesting. Oh. My heart. R.I.P. Very R.I.P. Uh, so Brittany Murphy, uh, they approached Reese Witherspoon oh. for it. I can't it. really picture that. Uh, and she turned it down. Uh, and also, what's your name? Tori. Spelling. Tori Spelling. Which is why... I could see her as it. Yeah, and to- that's why they... There's the line in it yeah. about Tori Spelling. Yeah. Because apparently she was, the like, who they wanted. And I think it was just, like, a conflict. They couldn't They couldn't get her. Uh, Xilia, why don't you tell us about your actor? So, I'm... Mine is Drew Barrymore, who plays Casey. And I mean, Drew Barrymore has a life of, you know, many, many films. But <laughs> I'll just say some that I like here, or have seen or whatever but <laughs> uh well obviously et i mean starting at the beginning of her life and it's interesting because we are watching um Bly manor yeah and we were like what is this guy from and he plays elliot in et I had, yes yeah i, I had no yeah. idea uh she's in donnie darko she's obviously in this movie batman forever wedding singer is it we have like some weird Batman Forever connections (laughs) going on in the episode. Uh, Because Batman Batman Forever is a, like, peak of cinema. (laughs) True. Charlie's Angels, I used to have the CD soundtrack of that when I was a kid. It says she's in Altered States, but I don't remember that. I don't remember. I don't remember her being... She would have been young when that came out. Well, I don't know. Never Been Kissed, I saw that. I was gonna say, Never Been Kissed, um, one of my favorite things to say when I don't hear what somebody said to me is I repeat it back, but instead of repeating it back, I go parakeet, and I got that (laughs) off of Never Been Kissed. I've never seen that. I saw that in the theater with my mom. Oh my god, it's so good. Oh, it's like, it's real cute movie. Firestarter. Prepare to be slaved. (laughs) Oh, Firestarter, I love it. Um, and then just a couple more Home Fries with Luke Wilson. I remember seeing that when I was like, when I was probably 10. Between the ages of like 8 and 10, I used to be obsessed with Drew Barrymore. And another um, one... Luke Wilson is an underrated Wilson brother, by the way. Most definitely. I used to have a crush on him at that for that movie. And then finally, um, I read the this book when I was in grade like 7, and I recently found my live journal from back then, and had noted on my live journal that I had read Riding in Cars with Boys. Um, oh, wow. And she's... Deep cut. Yeah. And she's in that movie. So, yeah. She's in 69 movies, according to Letterboxd. Some that I was surprised Exilia didn't mention, The Wedding Singer. I did. Oh, did you? Yeah. I didn't hear that. Yeah, I mentioned She didn't it. mention one that I rewatched recently, and um, it actually horrified me, um, Poison Ivy. <laughs> And I was going to say, Drew's kind of dabbled in horror recently. You and me, Exilia and I watched, she was in, wasn't she in uh, Santa Clara Diet? Clarita. 
Clarita. Yeah, she's the main character. Yeah, she's great in that. Uh, how about you, Mike? Um, okay, so my actor, I did not choose, like, lead lead, because, okay, we all know some of the other people, like Courtney Cox, Queen, Queen, Queen. I was just like, fuck, Rose McGowan, uh, indie queen at the time. This was, like, a real sort of, like, mainstream breakthrough for her. We know her from this. The Doom Generation was, like, a huge indie hit that she had before this, and I think was probably, like, the thing that mostly got her the role. And then after this, she was in Charmed for many seasons, which was a really weird kind of, like, kind of tied in because it's kind of got horror elements, but also is, like, really, really, like, sugary, sweet mainstream. My mom's but obsessed with Charmed. Oh, my God. I, but it's, like, it's one of those things that, like, people get into, people at the time were really into, but, like, now, in retrospect, it's gotten, like, a real cult appreciation by, like, people that never would have been into it at the time. Or also people who were, like, barely alive when it first came on. So I find that very interesting, and it's kind of got that, like, timeless cult classic um we've also seen her in such genre hits as grindhouse oh yeah aka two brilliant movies from quentin tarantino and robert rodriguez uh she's in both of the movies in that um double feature but mainly in planet terror which i'm gonna go out on a limb and say is probably robert rodriguez's best movie ever and uh I think that even though it's a parody of sci-fi horror movies, it's probably, like Scream, a parody and an homage that is probably better than the actual things that it is parodying or homaging. Very true. Uh, And also, she's been in a million things, but one of the last things I want to mention that she was in that we... Is a very personal... To the three of us podcast hosts, it's a very personally important movie. It is the 90s thriller comedy classic Jawbreaker. Of course. Yes. That we regularly used to get together and watch and make a ritual out of with our dear friend friend of the podcast angie do you remember um, when she did those little like chinese takeout things full oh, of candy and did, like full of jawbreakers yeah and, and like wrote and wrote quotes, quotes on them from the movie <laughs> um and then we posted it on instagram and the director of the movie liked it and started following angie and it was a really lovely night that that night was like we made a ritual out of watching jawbreaker together and uh yeah so rose mcgowan's in that and it's a really good movie and everybody should check it out it's if you're a horror or a comedy fan it's uh it's one of those like underrated kind of like under the radar 90s gems it's true and i was gonna say kind of you know we don't want to go on about the cast forever so quick shout outs jamie kennedy and possibly the only good role he's ever been in yeah i know cut 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 the possibly dead ass it's period yeah uh matthew lillard there was quite literally nothing likable about his character (laughs) i could not stand him and I will say that I think because of the popularity of him in this role, I feel like he took that and made it the blueprint for the rest of his career. Oh, yeah. typecasted, a hundred percent. Although he's so he's in Good Girls, and Good Girls is really good. But he almost yes, and he he was also in the um last the resurgence of Twin Peaks and was excellent in that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean he was in She's All That as well. Classic. <laughs> Classic. I was gonna say it also like interesting that this just really broke him as a star. And I had seen that he didn't even like really audition for this. He, his girlfriend at the time was auditioning and he was just in a hallway and they were like, hey, come read these lines. 
And then he was just in this movie. Interesting. Um, Jamie Kennedy was in Romeo and Juliet. I have oh, to point yeah, that out. Oh, yeah. That, okay. So two good roles yeah. in his entire life. Yeah. Well, but guys, what about kicking it old school? I'm just or kidding. the Jamie Kennedy Project. Listen, oh, we're not my gonna God. Go there. <laughs> and poor old David Arquette. Let's give him a shout out. Yeah. He's, he's one of the hearts of this whole series. Yeah. I, I see he has like a documentary on Netflix now. I don't really know. He's like, I don't know. And I mean, and, and like, even though he's not like, he's very charming in this series. And I think that you, you could not take him out of it. I can't imagine this series without him. I have some hot takes. Outside later. of that, I feel like his, his work is spotty. I mean, like we love him in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the original with um, Mega Swanson. But he is part of a dynasty. The Arquettes are like an acting dynasty, mm. right? Like Were those his real teeth? In Scream or yeah, Buffy? In Scream. Like, in Scream. <laughs> what? Are those his real teeth? That's the weirdest question I think you've ever asked on this podcast. Really? They looked fake. Siri in Scream. No, they just seem fake. They're really yellow and like, I don't know. I can't explain them. I think you need to change the like tint settings on your television. I'll have to go back and rewatch it. We'll have to post on the Instagram, ask people, are these teeth yellow? Anybody have the tea on David Arquette's teeth? Was he smoking heavily at the time? <laughs> I mean, they were very noticeably weird to me. Well, I mean, very interesting kind of like bit part cameos in this. Uh, Linda Blair. Linda Blair, oh my god, is the reporter. What does it feel like to be all, almost brutally murdered? <laughs> Wes Craven makes a cameo as the janitor. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, the Fonz, we've already mentioned. Yeah, Henry Winkler. And I didn't know till I read about it, but apparently when he opens the closet in his office, they have the leather coat hanging up. <gasps> oh, wow. That's so cool. The Fonz leather coat. And obviously, I saved the best for last. We uh, we get playing the, uh, the demented Billy, Skeet Ulrich, who I had my mic moment moment where I texted Mike and said that Skeet Ulrich Skeet Ulrich can ruin my life. You know, he really has He's, like, aged pretty well. Yeah, hopefully a lot of our listeners, like uh, Exilia and I, are massive Riverdale fans. I wouldn't say I'm a massive Riverdale fan, but yes. Broke my heart. Divorce. Divorce. Mike, can you see this picture? Yes, I can. Okay, yes, so he smiles or grimaces with his teeth out a lot. Yes. Yeah, that's just a weird look for me. I don't know, something about <laughs> Okay, but it's so weird. since we're... Okay, so this is a note that I have. Maybe it's the mustache. It is definitely the mustache because he's not... I don't think he's used to having one. Um, so he acts with his mouth a lot. Sometimes you notice what people do while they're acting. Um, so you noticed David Arquette grimacing with his teeth a lot in this movie, which admittedly he does. I also noticed Nev Campbell putting her hand up to her head a lot. And that's how she like conveys stress. <laughs> So, listeners, I dare you to go back and watch how many times Nev Campbell puts her fingers or hands up to her head or in front of her head or around it like she's voguing, but not quite. <laughs> and and that's how she conveys, like, stress. And it's fine. Like, this is just, uh, like, tics that people have. Or maybe they're introducing it into that character on purpose. I don't know. Exilia doesn't like it. That would be his tick for this movie, would be his teeth. His teeth, his tick is his teeth. His teeth are his tick. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's pretty much, for, pretty much it for actors. I was gonna say, uh, when I did text Mike about Skeet Aldrich ruining my life, I had mentioned to Exilia and Mike that, that I was like, man, he really looks like Nightmare on Elm Street Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Yeah. Like, they have like, this... But a 
slimier Johnny. Like, Johnny Depp in that is feathered yes. and innocent and, like, just, like, something floating on a cloud, you know? Like, very much, like, uh, something out of, like, a, you know, Renaissance painting. Um, he's very much a, like, pre-Raphaelite, like, you could see a Rossetti painting him as, like, a god, um, you know, with the feathered hair, and he's very much just cherubic and, like, untainted. And then Skeet Ulrich is like Johnny Depp, but, like, slimy, greasy, steamed version. (laughs) Which is funny because then flash forward 10 years after that and you look at Johnny Depp in real life and then he became (laughs) Skeet Ulrich's version of him. You know? (laughs) Skeet Ulrich predicted what Johnny Depp would turn into in real life because then Johnny Depp turned into that like kind of greasy, mangy, etc., etc. So I feel like there was this weird, like, um... Switch, almost. Self-fulfilling prophecy, weird switch. It was like a... I don't know if it was some kind of, like, a picture of Dorian Gray thing (laughs) with two different people, but there we have it. Like, something weird happened. They were, like, um, switching off. They passed the baton to each other (laughs) or something for, like... I don't think for, like, ten years we saw Johnny Depp in anything anyway, so I feel like Skeet Ulrich, like, took the baton and said, you go into hibernation I'll take over for you for like six or seven years and then he's like okay I'm done here you go and Johnny Depp came back and was like I'm I'm in it to win it now well in fun fact they uh my suspicions were confirmed apparently that's exactly why they casted Skeet Altrich was because they said it reminded them of Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street they thought since Wes Craven was the director that that was a good connection it was a good callback yeah good good throwback uh, so let's get into, is this our first experiences with this film? Uh, let's start with you, Mike. Oh my god, no. I've been watching this since I was, like, a wee one. I mean a wee one, listen. I'm just a wee one compared to how ancient I am now. I've been watching it since the beginning. Like, I loved it as soon as it came out. Even though, you know, I was, I didn't get all the references at the time because... How could I, like, you know, it was just jam-packed with, like, so many references and stuff that, you know, unless you were a seasoned, you know, sort of, like, had seen every movie ever made in the horror genre, you're not gonna get it all. But, you know, I really enjoyed it, and I could understand that it was both making fun of and being a slasher movie at the same time, and I think that was my first experience with something like that. And understanding the, the, like, parody of it, but also that it could be more than a parody. That it could parody and be the, embody the thing at the same time. That was really, like, kind of game-changing for me. So, because of that, it changed the way I, like, watched horror movies after that. And I watched it a hundred million times since then because it was so foundational for me. And it's become, like, a comfort movie. I love everything about it. I've seen it eight million times. So, that's my history. <laughs> How about you, Exilia? Um, so I saw Scream when it first came out many years ago. And I think I only saw it once. And when I was in middle school is when Scary Movie came out. I'm quite certain I was like a great six or seven honestly when i started watching scream i was like wow i actually don't remember anything about this movie because everything i know about scream is actually colored by scary movie i love how you're like looking at it through the parody lens before you even see it well i had seen the original first but myself and my friends would just always watch scary movie it was really popular when it came out at least for like middle school kids i guess yeah so that's all i remembered of it (laughs) 
<laughs> was a different movie. Uh, yeah, and I mean, obviously not the first time I've seen this. I've seen this a handful of times. Probably not as much as Mike. It's been at least 10 years since I've seen this. Uh, this isn't a movie I necessarily revisit often. Uh, and not, I feel it not for like any major reason. I don't hate it. It's just, it's not, when there's films I watch over and over again, this just isn't one of them, I guess. Uh, so it was definitely interesting to watch because it has been so long that a lot of kind of the middle of this movie I forgot and like I didn't overly remember other than like the real iconic scenes. I feel like this movie has a lot of quotables. A lot of quotables. And like Exilly said, like, I watched this and all I really think about is the, like, scary movie, like, what's up I thing. know. When we were watching Scary Movie, I, this, before it came on, I was like, oh my god, favorite scene. And it's like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> And then he's just like sitting there and he's he's like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, nothing, chilling, killing. Like, I just love that part. <laughs> I don't even, now that I've rewatched Scary Movie, I'm like, wow, this is so problematic. <laughs> but like that part really, you know, withstands the test of time. <laughs> we know what we're going to start off with first, our favorite kill or scene. Exilia, why don't you oh my God. set us off? Okay, so my favorite scene is actually a favorite quote, but it's something we used to have on our intro when we first started, and um, now that I'm like on the spot and have to say it, I'm probably gonna fuck it up, <laughs> but it's the one and it's like, he's sick fucks, you've seen one too many movies. Now it! don't you blame the movies, movies don't create psychos, movies make psychos for creative <laughs> Yes, the the endings, the climax. Yeah, and then my favorite kill is of Drew Barrymore because he's like dragging her, and she has like the old school phone just like trailing behind her. I like that part. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna say, and you know that her mom can hear like every sound and yeah, scrape. Yeah, that's creepy. But I just like I'm more so just like that he's dragging. Like it's like getting drugged along. <laughs> I yeah. Don't know. How about you, Mike? Well, I mean, I, I thought about this while I was rewatching it for the recording, and it's tough. I mean, I want to say that whole opening scene iconic because it truly, like, the first time I watched it. I mean, at that point, I had seen a fair few scary movies. I started watching horror movies when I was like eight years old. So honestly, by the time I saw Scream, I was I had seen enough. Right, like it's think what you will. Maybe some people would judge that, but like my parents didn't care. I was well behaved. Like if I wanted to watch some horror movies, so be it. I was, you know, got good grades, whatever. But when I watched that opening sequence, it absolutely like just it shook me. Yeah. Like I will never forget watching this movie for the first time and that scene, like it that moment when he says to her, I wanna like see what your insides look like, I was just like Oh my god. Oh, like, you know, you're like, oh, this is serious. Like, this is fucking real, right? Like, yeah. And well, you know, it's like, oh my god, it's Drew Barrymore, but like, Drew girl, you in danger. <laughs> like, you know, this is, the shit is real. So, like, honestly, that because it had such an impact on my life, like, I want to say that scene, but I'm not, I feel like it's also kind of a cop out because it's so iconic. So, ouch. I'm going to say, uh, no, 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 no. I don't. I mean, listen, I feel the same way, obviously, but I'm going to and I'm going to cop out now and say literally any scene with Courtney Cox, <laughs> because I feel like in the subsequent movie, she became a main character. But in this, she was sort of secondary. But I feel like they just 
interspersed her throughout the movie and she was kind of like a bit of an antagonist and i i just love that i love her banter i love you know her wardrobe i love her gross chunky 90s weird highlights and then of course when she kind of becomes a bit more like prominent in the narrative at the end in that last act at the house like i'm sorry i've argued it numerous times like i think by the end of it courtney cox is like and for the rest of the series i think courtney cox especially in the rest of them becomes like the main character i think gail weathers if courtney cox had not played her would be like an awful character but like because courtney cox is so charming i feel like she she's like the hero of the series. I'm throwing that out there. Yeah, well, I was just saying, interesting enough, Courtney Cox, like, actually pursued this role because mm. she wanted she her words were she wanted to play a bitch to kind of everyone thought of her at, from friends and she's like i want to play the total opposite and like so people think of me for different roles right but like because this movie has that satirical comedic edge she still gets to flash those excellent comedy chops that she has yeah like her zingers in this movie i will tell you right now there are lines from this that me and my like one of my best friends from like grade seven onwards like we were both obsessed with this movie and watched it a million times and watched it together when we were growing up and like there are zingers from courtney cox in this series especially this first movie that like we still say to each other like because her delivery is everything like you don't think of her as a horror person but like guess what she delivers the drama she delivers the fucking tea she delivers the fucking comedy like it's just everything about her like she's just perfect for this movie i also wanted to say the beginning but I'll pick something different I do want to say on the beginning I think to me not even the kill being iconic in the beginning but the great setup that it really starts off almost with those kind of comedic chops the the phone conversation at the beginning is like light and playful yeah it's very charming right like craving the craving 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 does constant craving (laughs) Craven does in Williamson. It's just like such a good job where that phone call like immediately turns into like horrifying. And like they did such a good job balancing throughout the movie that black comedy with like actual horror uh, and, and slasher, you know, things that everyone wants. What my actual, my, I have a favorite kill and favorite scene. My favorite kill is our girl Rose Tatum. Mm hmm. the garage that to me is like always iconic when i think of this movie that's the first kill i think of yeah that was a good one and like just like i've never seen that in a movie so it's just like wow and then i think about like scary movie and stuff like i remember the comedy bit and scary movie about it and i just really like that kill although i you know it it's kind of silly because i'm like did she really think she was gonna fit in that door but and then my favorite scene uh like possibly in almost any horror movie is Jamie Kennedy listing off the rules of being in a horror movie, which is like iconic now. Like everyone kind of knows that. Oh, everyone yeah, and knew it's like that parodied, stuff. right? Like yeah, yeah. Those that's probably my favorite. Uh, kill and favorite scene because we always talk about it on any movie like this. Soundtrack way better than I remembered i yes and of course all my notes are oh my god nick cave like first of all we need to talk about that the fact that red right hand by nick cave is used numerous times for this movie and then 
repeats as a motif through the rest of the series and they even have other people doing versions of red right hand in later movies oh yeah it's so bizarre it's so perfect honestly the moments when it cuts to like those like establishing shots and you hear those like the bell dings of that song it really like sets a tone for the whole movie yeah there i just put that on our thing oh did you on our playlist. And, like, Nick Cave is very gothic and creepy anyway, right? So, like, it's it's very, very fitting and appropriate. Like I said, like, you better than I thought. Like, I'm looking at it now, like, uh, like, Moby on the soundtrack. Moby, I was gonna say, the, 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 and I will say, like, Moby, um, mm, problematic as of late. Um, well, I mean, really, as of a long time, but yeah. things that have come up as of late, but... My the whole time I've ever watched this movie, to me one of the I, like I listen to that Moby song first Cool Hive that they play at the end. It's so perfect. It's this weird, lush, atmospheric, like hopeful. It's very perfect for them to be playing like at the end as it's like oh we just like overcame this ordeal, you know, and it's oh every and Republica Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is playing at the party slash yeah. right when Rose McGowan dies. Yeah, such a good song. Such a good underrated song. I hope it's on Spotify. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to track it down later. But it it sounds exactly like their other song that was on uh Ready to Go. Yeah, Vegas Vacation. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, um I bought this that C D, their their album. I I'm assuming it's their only album at a used store a million years ago. And the only two songs I remember from it are those two. I feel yeah. like it was all the same kind of like propulsive rock. Uh, good you know it was it was good for what it was but like it's i feel like this there's a reason why they never really had any other sustainability yeah (laughs) i was gonna say probably not my favorite cover of schools out by the last hard man i thought that was kind of lame i was not a fan of that but i did surprisingly enjoy the don't fear the reaper cover like the acoustic yeah that acoustic version was really good by gus black is the artist and then i really like the bird brain youth of america song yes and it's very subtle but um when sid goes to rose mcgowan's house and uh gets the phone call while billy's in jail in the background there's a song playing called artificial world and the vocals are by julie cruz who everybody will know as uh the vocalist from twin peaks who does the theme song to Twin Peaks and appears throughout the whole series as the, like, lounge singer. Um, and so normally she does this, like, ambient, um, Angelo Badalamenti, like, guitar, David Lynch, you know, like, ambient kind of, like, hypnotic music, but, like, she teamed up with this, like, really, it's this really, like, driving electronic propulsive beat with her vocals, and it was really cool. I, like, I really enjoyed it. I actually posted that song on Twitter, like, three months ago just saying like let's let's remember how good this song was and it needs to be on all the streaming services because it isn't i had to post a youtube link damn it now i was gonna say my big thing when watching this and maybe just because it's fresh in my mind uh when uh i was on another podcast for halloween shout out to every horror movie on netflix and we did all the nightmare on elm street films you know i thought it was interesting to watch this as kind of the shiny finished product to wes craven's new nightmare Mm -hmm. where we try this kind of meta meta horror where it's we're aware of horror movies yeah like a movie 
movie about movies. A movie about movies. And if you listen there, you know, it's been out for a while now, you'll know that I am not a huge fan of that one, uh, of A New Nightmare. I'm a big fan of this. Like, I'm glad he kind of worked it out and it just really worked in this kind of format. I think especially with, like, the teens and it had that, like, you know, Kevin Williamson feel to it. Yeah, New Nightmare was maybe too adult, whereas this really tapped into, because, like, a lot of, like, slasher and horror movies are, like, the audience is teens, so it was kind of good to get that more, like, youthful spin on it, I think. Yeah, and, uh... Before we get off, you know, we've said so much about the intro scene. I did want to say, too, like, how impressive it is, you know, when this film was, like, advertised, this was advertised pretty much as, like, a Drew Barrymore film. That's how they sold this film and i feel like they were going for that like psycho vibe right yeah well and i was just saying like i can't think of anything other than psycho where you kind of we kill off the most famous person in the film (laughs) you know within the first 10 minutes of the movie and it's like such a good turn it's like such a good twist you're like oh shit i definitely don't remember the impact in 1996 when I, you know, when I would have seen this. But I can imagine for most people, it's just like, holy shit. Because when you go into this, like, she's pretty much the only movie star in this. Yeah, everybody else in it would have been, like, either a relative unknown or, like, some TV. person from a TV show, yeah. And then you're just like, oh shit, like, now she's gone. <laughs> and I just, like, that takes a lot of a lot of guts to do in your film. To yeah, and they kind of clone that with every movie for, like, five years after that, where they'd have a shocker stinger opening where you'd have a famous person get killed. Yeah. So then it became, like, if you looked at a movie and saw there was a famous person, and it's like, oh, and they're in the opening scene, it's like, well, they're gonna die. Yeah. But this was the first one to do that, so, I mean, we gotta give her props for that, because it would have been so shocking. Like, after that, not so much, because it's kind of becomes formulaic, right? Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, with anyone, I mean, I'm sure... Everyone listening to this probably has listened to other things about Scream and like this literally like reinvigorated a dying genre. Like when we're talking about pre-1996, horror is pretty much just a direct-to-video sequel in a beaten franchise. Like, they're not making good horror movies. They're not selling in the theater. I mean, there's a reason why there's that scene in the video store. Like, it's just all going to, like, shelves in dinky stores all across America, right? Yeah, and it's just, it's crazy to think of Something for you to watch when you're about to go into lockdown. Yeah, and it's just... Oh, look, we gotta go, we gotta be in by nine tonight, let's get a couple (laughs) of schlocky horror movies from the local video store. Exactly, and it's just, it's crazy to think how influential this movie is, like, especially on the rewatch, you know, like, anything you watch past 1996, like... There's usually some sort of remnant of inspiration from this film. Like it's yeah, some the, the 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 blueprint is there, right? Yeah, like and it's, it's especially absolutely there. Especially like teen slashers, you know, it, especially like you know five to six years directly after this. Like we're getting teen slasher after teen slasher. You know, everyone wants to replicate Scream and what what it did culturally, and also you know. Scream was the twilight of its time. 
Twilight of its time. Is that the and headline? You can, you can quote me on this. That's Let's like the headline the for the episode. Headline of this episode: Scream was the Twilight of its time. <laughs> I'm going to be I'm so embarrassed by that. <laughs> but yeah, just so so influential, and also you know gave us an iconic you know staple horror villain. Everyone knows Ghostface, and even if you didn't know Ghostface, you know him because you know exactly how many Dollaramas have you been in on Halloween that has a rip-off mask, a scream. Well, I mean, ever since I was a kid and it came out, like, people would wear that outfit. It's an easy outfit. Super easy outfit. It's a mask and a piece of fabric. <laughs> like, yeah, which could have been... A, which Any kind been... of rubber knife, that's all you need. <laughs> and they always would have those knives with, like, the blood inside. Do you know what I mean? Oh my oh, god! Oh, you can push the little button. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A costume that was almost a disaster. I know. I had read that originally it was supposed to be white instead of black, and because uh, they thought it'd be more ghost-like. But then when they tried it on, realized that he looked like a member of the KKK. Mm, so they, yeah, that's so they decided uh, not to do that. Now, unfortunately, I will say uh, it's hard when you're dealing with an iconic movie like this. You don't want to be like too critical of it. You know, you don't want to make people angry. But I will say, especially nowadays, it was very, very noticeable of how white this movie was. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think we really had any black characters no listen and i can't think of any i think i think that they specifically addressed that in the second movie by having yeah more like characters of color yeah and i i do think they ended up fixing it with the further installments but yeah just kind of i mean this is 96 so i don't think this is necessarily at the forefront of you know the talk of cinema at the time in mainstream, people just weren't really evaluating it in the mainstream culture like that. But it was just very noticeable watching it now, how how white it is. Yeah, it's, I mean, and you know, like, that's, it's, it's like with anything from the time, like, it's, you might not have noticed it when you were younger, but, like, obviously shit like that is embarrassing now. When we were younger, that was, like, what was normal. So it's, like, and you, and you, you, really you don't, until it. you're sort of, like, at the point where you can look at it critically, you don't, you don't go like, oh, I don't see X, Y, and Z on there, but, like, you should. But obviously, if you're a youngster, you're not, like, kind of training your eye to, like, pay attention to what you're not seeing, like, the absence yeah. of stuff. You know, you only see what you're seeing, you're not seeing the absence of what's there, and, you know, there's a huge absence of any kind of color, obviously, and that's very highly problematic right now. Except for white. That's right. <laughs> Except, exactly, right? And it's just like, and you know, you, you kind of want to like, it's, and, and like I said, it is embarrassing. Like, you look at it and go, oof, like, not a single person <laughs> in that. It, yeah, I guess. It, it is what it is. It's of its time. Uh, I, I feel another important thing to talk about is Nev Campbell bringing it up a huge notch for... Scream Queens. Uh, is she even a Scream Queen? Uh, she didn't really scream that much. 
But she did kick a lot of ass. I think she's more of a scream queen because she didn't scream. I think that's the whole point. I think the whole point was that she didn't scream. I think the irony is the, like, absence of screams in this movie. I feel like her touching her face thing that I was saying earlier was, like, her version of screaming. And it was, like, that was almost like a zen, like, I'm sucking the scream out. I'm not going to give it. But, again, it's, like, with Craven, you know, it's, like, the the feeding of the energy from like the end of Nightmare on Elm Street one like she's not gonna give them the energy of like screaming she's yeah. not gonna feed them and I kind of love that I feel like the the lack of screaming I mean there not that there was no screams in this movie but like the lack of screams and screams in scream is kind of an interesting uh, like interesting. Uh, auditory choice you know what I mean I and I feel like that's like one that. of the reasons yeah I feel like that's one of the reasons why everybody loves Sydney Prescott so much is because she doesn't scream yeah um, she, she when you look at someone like a Jamie Lee and they, you know they have Jamie Lee on Halloween on the TV there and that's a for specific reason and she screams but that was 1978 or whatever that was you know this is 1996 it's the girl doesn't need to scream necessarily like she's she's already primed for this shit she knows the rules right for some reason i always thought that it was called scream because the mask looks like the painting scream it does it looks like the the expressionist painting the scream and i i think that is why they named it scream but i feel like it also does double duty because there's like it's a a horror movie (laughs) yeah well i mean it does quadruple let's face it the, the name scream does like quadruple quintuple duty even like it's like i said just sydney really bringing it up a notch i feel kicking ass and you know destroying billy and stew uh i thought it was also like i really like what they did with billy and stew in this where i like that we get a motive at the end from one of them and then no motive from the other, which I think was like a very deliberate thing. I know I briefly read somewhere that originally they weren't going to have any motive. And of course, studios like hated that. They're like, oh, well, people are gonna get angry so i I like well they dropped hints you know throughout the movie by saying like it's the millennium motives are incidental like mm-hmm. i'm sure that was just for it's foreshadowing the original you know and it just adds Bucket. more to lillard's asshole persona when it's like oh i did it because of peer pressure but not really i was just bored my theory is all the i mean listen like i know we're always like that's like as a society we're always trying to like psychologize things and you know pick it apart and look for a motive and look for like uh chains of causation and like where did this come from and why did this happen and i know that like they sort of hinted at you know like oh peer pressure and oh just because because of you know watching movies and because of society uh one thing that never gets touched on but that i think of every time i watch the first couple of movies in this is i'm sorry i'm just gonna throw out there that billy and stew i'm not saying it's reciprocated <laughs> but i i feel like stew went a lot like i feel like billy had a motive and stew went along for the ride because he was in love with billy i feel I like there is an abs that. A dripping, how dare you? I feel like there's a dripping homoerotic sub 
subtext between the two of them, especially since they're always hanging all over each other and they're stabbing each other, which if you're just looking at it from the like purely like pop culture, like daytime talk show in the 80s stance, like they're like literally stabbing their penises into each other. Like if a knife is a phallic symbol, then they're just like fucking each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I just feel like I there's like a this. lot. I feel like there's a lot to unpack in their relationship Um, that continues even into like the motives in the second movie. But... I like where this is going. Yeah, I I thought that about Matthew Lillard. He's always like hanging off the back of him and like looking over yeah, his shoulder. Yeah, like he's very it's very physical, which, you know, not saying that because somebody has a physical relationship that's you know, a sexual thing, but I feel like that's just an element of like the whole it's a matrix of things for me, and that is one element of it. There's a lot of hanging on, there's a lot of like sweaty touching and and i just feel like they had been plotting things together and like killing people for a year like that's some commitment at that point in your life you're not gonna have a relationship that lasts a year let alone a murderous relationship i feel like there's something below the surface there yeah i like this theory this theory is 100 percent. and you know they murdered they murdered both of or tried to murder both of their girlfriends they're eliminating the obstacles to them being together (laughs) first tatum which they you know succeeded with and then they attempted with sydney true so i want to know i mean we've talked about lots of great things about scream because there's lots of great things is there anything you guys didn't like about the film i will say this so i have watched a million times and i will admit that it has been years now since i've watched it just because you know as the years go on there's more and more things that you've seen and haven't seen and you kind of pile it on your list of i need to watch this and then i'm gonna rewatch that (laughs) and when i rewatched it for this recording i will say that one thing that i always loved about it and that was very groundbreaking at the time also kind of started to irritate me and it was the self-referential postmodern aspect of it that that was very it was literally its calling card like it was so ahead of its time yeah the whole like movie lingo and video store knowledge and here's what happens in movies and here's we're going to talk in all references i know that at the time it came out that was very much like you know like a very cutting edge way of having people talk and while the the lingo and the dialogue was not real it was stylized which i appreciated but i feel like because it was so heavily imitated um that it became dated really quick so when i was watching this um and they were you know all just speaking in like movie lingo and kind of like literally just full sentences that were just film references i was like "Mm, it's kind of tired now in 2021 like i'm not saying i dislike the movie because of it or anything like i understand that it's it was 1996. But I'm also saying that you would have to radically alter this movie to release it today <laughs> and have it and have it not feel like tired. It just feels tired. That that one aspect of it does feel a little bit tired right now because those tires did a lot of treading. <laughs> In the years since. That's kind of why I like this movie, because because it's so, like, referential to horror movies. It's like meta horror, but it's a serious horror movie, if that makes sense. It's not like... Oh, it does. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's not like a parody, you know? It's not like scary movie. And I didn't remember that about this movie. I don't know. I like that part, I think. Conflict on the podcast. Yeah, Trouble in Paradise. Trouble in Paradise. I mean, it's not conflict. I I love that about it. I'm just saying that, like, upon revisiting it 
after having seen it a hundred times as a youngster, I and not watching it for many years, uh, it just that element of it to me, which I always loved, now does just strike me as a little bit dated. And it's not even like I don't even hate that about it. Like it's it didn't upset me. It was just like if I had to pick and I was watching it and going, what would I not like about this today if it were released? And that would probably be the only thing that bothered me. It was def. it's definitely like it definitely dates it for sure. Yeah. Like, I think that's what I like about it because I mean, I like I basically grew up in the 90s and I don't know, it's just like a comfort thing. It is. And I I actually said that to somebody earlier tonight. I was like this is a comfort movie to me and it's because it's so dated. Yeah. In in that one respect, right? It's not yeah. a dated movie, but like in that one respect because but it's again, it's this is one of those things that's it's it's like this cognitive dissonance for me it dates it but it's also um because it was the first of its kind right like yeah it was the first one to do this so you have to give it credit for that and it's only dated because it did it so well and everything after copied copied it. It, yeah. right yeah is the thing so that's that is the like double-edged sword of being an innovator yeah like you get to be the first person that did that but in retrospect after it becomes a tired um, motif, when people look at it, they're like, I know this already. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's, you know it because of that movie. Yeah. It's just that, like, it's tired because this movie did it so well. It's kind of interesting that they made Scary Movie and, like, really Scream is kind of, like, the basis for Scary Movie. Be- yeah. Because it's making fun of a movie that's kind of making fun of itself already. Yeah. it's It was, like, meta-meta. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, woo. I've always how, thought, how but that's why they went so over the top. But I will say right now that I think Scary Movie is having a bit of a renaissance um, via, like, Twitter memes and stuff. And, like, Regina King, yeah. um, her and those movies is just everything. Yeah, she's hilarious in those movies. I, I will say I can't tell you how many times I will repost the clips of, like, the skeleton chasing Anna Ferris. <laughs> Oh my god. And her going, mutilate that white bitch and not me. I'm like, that is my everything. Mutilate her ass and move on. I always think, like, I even think that, like, sometimes when in real life, I'm like, <laughs> uh, please mutilate that bitch and move on. I was going to say, I guess my hot take on this, and I don't know if you can do it without it, is as I did this watch, I don't really know if I care about Sydney's mom. Like, that whole plot line. It's kind of loose anyway. I Yeah, I feel like it's super loose, and I get, like, it kind of... The whole movie falls apart if it's not there because they have the thing about like you know Sydney saying what's his name like, what's his name like murdered her mom but maybe that Cotton wasn't weary Cotton weary who great cameo appearance there yeah yeah I just kind of I guess I just didn't care it wasn't something I felt invested in because I felt they weren't invested in they that didn't at all even really like build it you know what I mean it's true because to be fair it's it's only like kind of a tool to like introduce her antagonism with yeah. Gail Weathers yeah the only reason that it exists is first of all to give Billy a motive, and second of all, to introduce her conflict with Gail. Yeah. The rub is that Gail is that, like, fly in the ointment of her, the trial of, like, her mother's killer. Yeah. So, the only time it ever, I, and I, but 
But I will say this. I'm glad that it's there because even though it's really like undercooked in this movie, the fact that in the second movie, you know, by the end of it, it really becomes the driving force. Yeah. And I do recognize, like, I know it has a bigger part to play in the franchise. I just, uh, for this one. No, but you're you're right. In this movie, it's a completely undercooked um, plot element. But I feel like they probably could have put an extra 15 or 10 minutes in and like kind of teased all that stuff out a bit more. But I feel like, you know, the movie probably would have dragged on. I don't know. I just feel like they were probably overstuffing it a little bit. <laughs> I feel like they're trying to do a lot in a in a less than two hour movie. My only other real issue with the film, I'm just not a fan of De- of uh, Dewey or whatever his name is. David Arquette. David Arquette's character. I just, I really didn't like, I have nothing personal against David Arquette, but I just thought he was like annoying. I just didn't, I didn't like his Isn't character. Isn't that kind of the point of and his character? I feel, I just, I'm like, how did this guy, and I totally, after I watched this and then we watched scary movie like i love the whole running joke in scary movie see i find that like really offensive it is offensive but i'm like as i watch scream i'm like how did this guy even make it on the police force like this guy's literally an idiot i mean i think they just wanted him to be like the heart of the movie he's at like the party and he's got like a beer in his hand i'm sure you could find some cops that are not that bright. Well, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. Just Some. rub me the wrong way. I just wasn't a fan of him. I, I don't know if it's David Arquette or just that character, but I just, I was just like, I eh. would say I it's mean, probably the character. I'd be interested in seeing how somebody else interpreted it, but it's probably more like on the page. Yeah, I feel, I feel that way too. Is there anything else we want to talk about with this? I, I feel like we don't want to beat it too much because... You know, a lot has been said about Scream throughout history. Uh, so if that's everything, let's get to the last question. So do we think, is it scary or unsettling? No. Exactly straight away. I, I'll, straight up no. Yeah, I'll quickly say no also. I, I think it's too way too meta to be scary. It is, I and I will I will agree and disagree. So I will agree that it is the meta-ness of it completely kind of negates the scariness, even though it does pay homage to it. But I will I will qualify it with this. I will say that the for 90% of the movie, the meta-ness um, does take away from it being too scary or unsettling. Yeah. But I also want to say that that opening sequence is kind of terrifying. And I'm sure if you watched it, like, at the time, it was even more terrifying. Because the opening sequence is, even though they are referencing movies and, like, talking about horror movies and stuff, it's not funny or satiric at all the opening sequence is meant to be dead fucking serious and i find that like that the opening sequence still it, when i was re-watching it for this even though i've seen it a hundred times i was like this is still really fucking creepy and it's really well done and i feel like it's kind of shocking so mostly no it isn't but i feel like the opening sequence which is the calling card of the movie is still pretty unsettling. A fun fact about that opening sequence. I was reading that uh, they claim now, I don't know what the statistics behind this are, but they claim after the movie came out that caller ID was used three times more than normal because of this film in that scene when the parents come home and they see something's wrong. Drew Barrymore's dad yells to his wife and says, go to the Mackenzie's, mm-hmm. 
which is exa- a blatant Halloween yeah, reference. which is what Laurie Strode told the kids yeah. in Halloween. Also, um, Billy's last name is Loomis. Yeah, there's like so many Halloween references. It's amazing. So, are you guys okay with getting into rating this? Yes. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so for any new listeners that are celebrating on our two-year anniversary, our rating system is nay, okay, yay, or slay. Uh, Mike, why don't you start us off? So this was a foundational text in my film horror-watching career. And so, and even though I just said re-watching it and, like, seeing elements of it that seemed dated, I still give it a slay um, because I still think that you cannot remove this from the history of horror movies, especially over like the last 30 years. This is such a key uh, piece of work and not just in like film in general, like also in Wes Craven, who, you know, is a horror icon. It's a key work in his filmography as well. And I feel like it's, it's too pivotal in every way that like you can't remove it it's such a sleigh it's so good it was so influential and if you erase this movie from existence you're literally probably like demolishing 10 years of horror history so i'm gonna say sleigh all the way night and day all right uh exilio what do you think so i'm really having trouble rating it i would give it between a yay and a sleigh i like really don't overly like franchise type horror movies. I don't know if anybody uh, you know, got that yet or not. <laughs> but uh yeah. Like me. Yeah. Like me. I mean, I had not seen that movie before I picked it. <laughs> I yeah, I'm I tend to really like not be super into the fan- franchise movies, but I actually really like this movie. So, I'll give it a yay. A conservative yay. It's a yay. high yay. A high conservative yay. No, a, a liberal yay. A liberal yay. Yeah. So, like Mike said, this is super influential. You kind of can't have the horror of today without this existing. This kind of laid the blueprint for, like, modern horror. And it revived the genre that was dying, uh, which not many movies can say they've done that. At the same time, personally, like I said, this isn't a movie I, I go back and watch very often. It's not really in my catalog of of movies. I, like I said, I just watch all the time because I absolutely have to see it all the time. So I also have difficulties with it. Like Exilia, I think I'm going to give it a yay as well. I can't believe it's only getting one sleigh. I feel bad. But yeah, I think for me personally, it's just, I think it's great. It's done really well, but it's not a go-to slash for me so yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry i have to do that to you now we're gonna do something a little new on our instagram when last week i think exilia had posed a question we wanted to know what you guys thought of scream and i think she had a couple answers i do okay so my friend crystal said it's a classic can't wait to see the new one with a ghost emoji. Her partner has a ghost face tattoo. Tattoo he recently got. And Heather McKill says, Love it. One of my go to horror films. Couldn't tell you how many times I've watched it. Laughing, crying emoji face. So I feel more on the uh, Mike side than our side, maybe. Mm. I mean, Heather has taste. I mean, I really liked it. 
Is I'm it, more on the high yay, where high you're the hesitant yay. Hesitant yay. You're going to watch this many times over. I'll probably watch it over. Okay. There we go. So now I think it is time for the budget game. For you that are new, the budget game is when Exilia and Mike battle to the death to guess how much it costs and how much it made, and the winner gets my undying love. Oh, okay. So, how Which mu- varies from week to week. Yeah. Exactly. So this week, we're at a mediocre. Uh, how much do you think this movie cost, Exilia? $12 million. $12 million. How about yourself, Mike? $21 million. So Exilia's gonna take Woo! this one. Uh, the budget was... 14 to 15 million for this film. How much do you think this film made? We'll start with you, Mike. 80 million. 80 million. Exilia. 93 million. Okay, fuck you. Stop stealing my bag, bitch. What? (laughs) So Exilia will take it, sweep it. Oh, fuck you! So, not that close. This movie made $173 million. Oh my god, that's amazing. This movie was a smash. Kind of ingenious. So this was released five days before Christmas. And their idea was that horror movies don't usually get released on Christmas. And they said this way during the holidays, horror movie fans had something to go see in December. That's a good idea. I think it kind of really was a trendsetter that way. Because now, there's usually always a a big horror movie release at Christmas time. Probably because everyone wants to have the financial success this had. Maybe. But obviously a huge smash. It spawned three sequels, a TV show, a new sequel coming, and a new TV show coming. So, just Oh yeah, I forgot I watched the first season of that Scream show. So now I've got to get into the shameless promotion. First, if you want to hear some awesome music from the movies that we've reviewed and the horror movies we love, go on Spotify to the It Slays podcast horrific playlist. And we have songs from Scream now. Songs from a whole bunch of stuff we love. Uh, Check it out. Follow it. We're always adding new stuff. Make sure to follow us on all our social media at It Slays Podcast. If you want to support the podcast financially, help us upgrade gear, you know, we use the money to get giveaway stuff, all this kind of cool stuff, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast. There's all different kind of tiers. You can get shoutouts, thank you cards, shirts, all different kinds of things. And we want to make sure, since it's our anniversary, that we're shouting out our three patrons we have right now that have been ride or die Colton, Jennifer and Cecily who all contributed since the beginning and I know Cecily and Colton got the pick a movie that we reviewed and they both managed to get on the podcast they they snuck by security uh also if you are interested in purchasing an it slays podcast shirt or tote bag or face mask or anything you can go to redbubble.com slash it slays podcast slash shop or you can just look up it slays podcast and we are there and lastly if you are ever so kind feel free to go to itunes 
give us a star and text review and we will read it on the show, no matter if it's good or bad. I think we've proved that already. And lastly is to announce our next film, our last film of our two-year anniversary. There's going to be lots of exciting announcements. Uh, We'll be announcing our giveaway that we've been running on social media all month. Uh, Maybe announcing like some just things going on with the podcast as well as we'll have a special guest so the movie that you guys voted and picked is the lighthouse i think we're all excited to review this uh filmed in nova scotia nova scotia and uh featuring a friend of the podcast and we just talked about when we talked about patreon colton He's going to be visiting. He did the witch episode, so he had to come back for the lighthouse. Icon, film critic, screenwriter. Icon. Legendary icon. We love him. And recently receiver of a card from Exilia. (laughs) Yes, uh, Jennifer and Colton got cards. Thank you. I hope they enjoyed them. They look magnificent. Thank you. But I think that is everything. Thank you for uh, tuning into, I guess, what is part one of two of the two-year anniversary. Oh, yes. And I have to say, I would like to wish my humble host, Rowan, a happy wedding anniversary. Yeah, we're recording this on our (gasps) wedding anniversary. What? Oh, my God, you guys. I feel like garbage. It is February 13th. (laughs) And uh, this is what we do. We we work for you during our anniversary. And eat $100 worth of sushi. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. If I don't remember my parents' anniversary, I'm never going to remember yours. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> but happy anniversary. I love you both. I'm glad oh, you found each thank other. You. I'm glad oh, you got married. I'm glad that we all met each other. It's wonderful. <laughs> and just in case any of the listeners wanted to know, no, I did not give Exilia a used copy of People Under the Stairs. No, this anniversary. no he already did that. Not for again. My first he day. already did that once. We yeah. all what heard is, that story. What is the X anniversary gift? Like, it's a, a second used copy of People Under the Stairs. Yeah. How many copies can we get her? So, I think that is everything. As always, I am your humble host, Rowan. Bye, it's Exilia. Thanks, it's Mike. See you later. Bye. We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store. Back where it says horror videos and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing inquiring minds want to know? I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick incrustations dying on the surface. What the prime time gets. Mom with the new flesh. The pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. As for our deaths, come with me and be immortal. We have such sights to show you. Gotta return some video